Well, good morning, my friends. Uh, welcome to our first and hopefully our last online-only Easter service. If you're watching for the first time, we welcome you, and we are really grateful that you're taking the time to be with us this morning. And if you are blessed by this message, we ask that you please share it. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at South Coast Community Church. And as we know, it is Easter Sunday. He is risen, and the truth of the resurrection changes everything. It is all about Jesus this morning. We're going to share the difference that can make, will make, and should make in your life. In Acts 2.24, Luke writes, But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its powers. The title of the message this morning is A Resurrected Life. And so I'm going to begin this morning by asking you some questions. And here's the first one. We know that Jesus is risen. We know that he's alive. We know we worship a risen, living Savior. So the first question I want to ask is, are you? I know you are alive, but are you really living? We're going to ask a few more questions this morning that I think we each have to answer as we go through life. And my hope and my prayer is that you do not hear this message today without giving some serious consideration to these questions. Write them down, meditate and pray on them, discuss them with other people in your life. This morning we celebrate and we remember the most important day for all Christians, Easter, Resurrection Day. Paul says this in Philippians 3, beginning verse 7, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul says, I want to know Christ, the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Pray with us this morning before we transition to worship. Father, we thank You. We thank You that we can celebrate the risen Savior every single day, God. But today in particular, our focus is upon Him. And so, Father, I pray You have Your way in the lives of every single person that hears this message this morning, that You soften hearts, that You draw people to You, God. Some to the first time, and some who may have strayed and need to be pulled back, need to be drawn back into that loving embrace. Lord, your word says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Many are a weary people right now. Help us to find our rest in you. Again, have your way. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, worship team. So I had mentioned that I'm going to ask a series of questions that will sort of frame and guide our discussion. Because I know to some folks, you know, Easter is just another, another holiday. It's, uh, you know, an extra long weekend. It's, uh, you know, bunnies and, and candy. And, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe you've heard of Jesus and, and, and he's distant to you. And, and you think, 
you know, the resurrection, you know, whether or not it happened, you, you know, you don't even know if it has any impact or direct uh, consideration in your life. And so hopefully these questions will, will guide you and, and you'll see by the end how relevant and pertinent it is. And so the first question I want to ask you is what kind of a life do you want to live? What kind of life do you want to live? You know, Rabbi Zacharias, he talks about, you know, things of God, spiritual things. He says all thinking human beings have essentially four questions. They have four topics of conversation to consider. Origins, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origins, meaning, morality, and destiny. Where do we come from? How do we determine meaning, purpose, value? How do we make ethical decisions? And what happens when we die? And so everybody worships, everybody has a, has a way to live, has things they pursue. And so the question is, what kind of a life are you trying to live? It is, a li is it a life where you can try and accumulate as much as you can? You know, over and over again, we choose things that we think will satisfy, and perhaps for the moment they do. But I believe over the long term, they're killing us, sort of like fast food, right? We're hungry, and so we grab what we, we, not what we should, but we grab what is easy, what is quick. And we wonder why we are spiritually malnourished. Why we are tired and feeling drained. Why we're dragging and our health is getting worse and worse. We need to make different choices. We need to eat healthier. We need to watch what we put in our bodies. And yet so many of us so many times have filled ourselves with garbage. TV, movies, conversations, and thoughts and feelings that we should not seek out and consume. But instead we should avoid and so in this time of being apart, what are you filling yourself with? At the end of this season, and this season will end, are you going to come away not having read your Bible or not having focused on your mental, physical, spiritual health, your relational health, but instead are you have been able to say that you binge-watched Netflix for hours on end, or that you spent a lot of time on Facebook? See, if we fill ourselves with the garbage of the world, if we spend hours and hours listening to ads on TV or the radio telling us what we need and what we have to be to buy to be fulfilled, eventually we stop believing it. And I know this full well because for so many years I sought after the things of the world. And the truth is they left me hungry, malnourished, lacking, alone, Afraid, weary, lost, broken, and dying. But God. But God. And so are you trying to, to live a life where you, where you try to impress others with your status or with your wealth? I remember hearing Andy Stanley say once that he wondered what he would buy if he didn't know what everybody else had. That he wondered what, you know, the stuff that he... That he goes after, that he, that he wants to purchase, that he, that he buys, that he would want, wonder, what are those things that he really need if he had no idea what everybody else had? Or do you want to have a relationship with Jesus that is so life-changing, so transforming, that comparing it to anything else seems absurd? In fact, there's no comparison. All else is garbage when compared to knowing Christ and being found in Him. So again, 
What kind of life do you want to live? Because Paul talks about knowing the power of his resurrection. Do you want that kind of a relationship with Jesus? Do you want to live a resurrected life? I know I do. My friends, this day changes everything. The resurrection, the central claim of Christianity, everything else hinges upon this fact. That this event actually happened at a time and place in history. That it's not a myth or a story, but it has implications for my life and for your life. Jesus Christ, the itinerant preacher, changed the course of human history. His birth literally split time in half. And his life, death, and resurrection have implications today for our lives. And so today, some 2,000 years later, all around the world, there are millions if not billions of people who have been so dramatically touched by Christ that we will never be the same again. And that invitation is extended to you today. You know, I was spending some time alone with the Lord and praying and I wrote some things down and, and reflected on what I was going to share this morning. And I just thought, you know, in particular over this time, but, you know, even really throughout the last several years, I've gotten so many emails and texts and voicemails. And as I was preparing this message, I started reflecting on some of the reactions that people have shared with me as they have heard the sermons and been part of the community in the group. The teachings and the devotions of Pastor Jamie and myself, the encouragement and support they felt about just being loved radically. How powerfully God has been moving in, in the lives of folks here. More than a couple people have said that when they hear the preaching that seems as though the Lord was speaking to them directly. I've shared here with, with my folks before that when you're, when you're, when you're a pre preacher, you're a pastor, when you love God, when you love people, the best thing you can hear is not that was a great sermon, but that is a great Savior. Amen? Amen. Essentially, our attempt to communicate the gospel has been coming through that the Spirit of God is using us, that we're vessels, that we're moving ourselves out of the way enough to be used of Him. And I love when people say, it feels like God is speaking directly to me because you know what? He is. And right now, wherever you are, He's speaking directly to you. This message is for you. He knew where you would be, when you would be there, and at what point you would hear this message, at what point your heart was being prepared up until this moment in your life. And maybe you don't know Jesus, or maybe you've just strayed away from the faith. But I pray you consider the, cl the claim, the truth of the resurrection. I thought for a moment about how Jamie and I are the unlikeliest of preachers. I mean, what business do we have and I just spoke to God with so much gratitude that He was using the likes of us. And you see, I know the response that people have is because Jamie and I are not talking about some ideology or some religion or some, some distant thing. We're not trying to impress you using persuasive speech. Though I would like to think we're somewhat articulate and fairly likable, at least me. I mean, you know, I don't know for Jamie, but at least I'm a likable guy. But the power of preaching is that it is spirit-led. I'm going to say that again. The power of preaching is that it is spirit-led. 
If this is a lousy sermon, and I know Michelle's, you know, she's really critical, and so at any point, you know, it could be a lousy one. That's all me. That's my fault. I'm in the way. But if it's a sermon that's life-changing, then that's the Spirit of God, and praise Him for speaking to His children. I tell people all the time, He loves you so much that He's not going to let me get in the way of the message He has for you. You see, it's the power of the Word of God. And as I sat there thinking about this church and the great honor of my life it is to be a part of it, I began to cry, and I know that's not a surprise to any of you, but I sat there for several minutes just weeping with gratitude and amazement that God sees in me what I often at times cannot even see. And He sees in you what you can't see, what you can't begin to even fathom. You see, he sees how special you are and how unique you are and how loved you are. That in the history of the world there has never been you and there will never be another you. That you are uniquely and wonderfully made. That you are the apple of his eye. And I began to cry because what motivates Jamie and I is not, we're, we're not trying to win theological debates or simply get more people to show up. What motivates us is that we are in love with Jesus Christ. Amen. And you know when you're in a relationship, especially a real good relationship, that's all you think about and that's all you talk about and you share with everyone your experience. You see, we are keenly aware that we have been rescued, that we have met a risen Savior who continues to move in our lives in ways that leave us humbled in awe. The gospel at its heart, my friends, is a love story. Easter is a love story. You've probably heard this quote before. Martin Luther said this, I am just a beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. That's all it is. And I know because I was starving for a long time. And I found bread that satisfies more than I could have ever fathomed. And I continue to be nourished and strengthened and changed so significantly that I cannot help but tell everyone who will listen. The love we have for our risen Savior, sweet Jesus Christ our Lord. I've shared this before with the church, but I know a lot of you are listening, maybe you've not heard it. And so I'm going to share a very profound moment in my life. You know, I was uh, at Teen Challenge, many of you know that, but probably six or seven months into the program, I was at the altar and I was crying out to God and I was just, you know, asking Him uh, to, to put my life back together, really, and so I cried out to Him. And I said, you know, and I, and I was doing pretty good. I thought I was using spiritual language and, I, you know, I thought I was making a pretty good case. I was kind of like a spiritual attorney, if you will. And, you know, I said, Lord, you know, I understand that I was not a good steward of my family. And I was not, you know, a good husband. And I did not love sacrificially. And, you know, and so I'm kind of pleading with the Lord. Lord, if you just, you know, if you put my marriage back together and, you know, every, you know, my job comes back. And if you just put my life back together, if everything was the same way before this whole thing happened and I ended up in a rehab and rocked if you'll do that, God, then, you know, I think I'm going to follow you forever. And I thought, you know, I made a pretty good case. If I was the judge, I would have been like, hey, yeah, that sounds good. That's it. 
and not an, audio, not an audible voice, but certainly outside of me, as clear as day, I heard God say, absolutely not. The only thing I will promise you is the presence of Jesus Christ. That's all we get. Jesus in the midst of it. Sometimes your circumstances don't look the way you want, to, want them to look. Sometimes this cause and effect, your, your decisions have implications. There are things that you can't change. He can change anything, and sometimes he does. But the promise was Jesus alone. He reminded me that, you know, all of those things that were in place, your job and your family, you had all those when you ended up in the condition and in the situation you were in because you were trying to fill yourself with stuff. You were trying to fill yourself with, with pleasure, with, with chemicals, with whatever it was, escapism, however and why ever. When God says, I want you to know Jesus, it's a quote that until Jesus is all you have, you don't realize that Jesus is all you've ever needed. You see, we can't only worship God if and when He meets our needs. Because then we're only worshiping outcomes. I know there's some teaching that tries to pass this preaching that says that God wants you to be rich and healthy and for everything to be great in your life. Teaching that's all centered upon making you feel good. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is only good news because there's bad news first. The good news is Christ died. And he rose again, that we can be back in relationship with God. But he had to go to the cross because of our sin, because of the condition we find ourselves in. Because of our heart. Because we continue to go after the things that will never satisfy. Because that's our default. And so yes, ultimately God wants what's best for us. He's a good father. But if God allowed his son to go to the cross who is innocent, I think he's going to allow us to go through some stuff because he's more concerned with our character than our circumstance. And he's going to use this situation right now in your life to draw you closer to him unless you choose to run away. And for a long, long time, that's what I did. I will always speak the truth to you in love. People who do otherwise may pretend they love you, but they really love themselves. They may be building organizations and brands and businesses, but we want to be obedient so Christ can work through us to build His church. Amen? Amen. And so this morning, I want to share the gospel message with you. Because God wants you to trust in Jesus who died so you can have a right relationship with God. And one of my favorite scriptures among many Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. You see, in Him alone is the true freedom each of us long for. In Matthew 28, it says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples, 
He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Come and see, and then go and tell. I shared that this morning during the sunrise devotion. And this is the invitation, my friends, not just to those women at the tomb, but to all of us who've encountered the truth of the resurrection. Come and see and go and tell. Because the Bible claims that Jesus Christ overcame death. And so I shared with you the difference it made in my life because I want that difference to be made in yours. I want to share with you how essential it is that our nourishment comes not from the empty promises of the world, but from the full promises of God. You see, the worst day on the cross became the best day when the tomb was empty. My worst day in a rehab, away from my family, broken and crying out to God, became the real beginning. I would not have known it, but in a sense, it was one of the best days in my life. Maybe right now you're in the midst of great uncertainty, of difficulty, financial trouble, all sorts of, of anxiety, all sorts of concern and worry. But God can use this to draw you into relationship with Him and you can look back and it can be the best thing that ever happened to you. I'll repeat this again and we, we use this quote around here a lot. In the Christian life, we don't surrender to be done. We surrender to begin. Surrender isn't the end. It feels like that at the time. I'm done. I give up. I can't do it anymore. And then God steps in and says, good, I've been waiting for you, for you to say that your whole life. Because after Jesus feeds the 5,000 with real food, because God will often offer us, meet our physical needs, but so often our immediate desires obscure us from our current condition. I'm going to say that again. So often our immediate desires, what we think we need, obscure us from our current condition. And yes, Jesus is concerned to meet our physical needs. The Bible talks about that. And we as believers are called to meet others' physical needs. But he's not just concerned with that. He wants to change our entire lives. He wants to give us new eyes, a new heart, and a new purpose. And so there's an invitation to press in deeper. We need to be aware of our ultimate need. And Jesus in John 6.35 says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus is saying everything you've ever longed for, everything you've ever desired can be found in him. And yet we know that even those who are listening did not believe in Jesus. Because verse 36, Jesus says, But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. This morning you will be presented with information. It is up to you whether you allow that to lead to transformation. But I will promise you that if you place your trust in Jesus, that he will never leave you that He will never forsake you, that He will never let you down, that He will take your burdens and exchange them for a peace that transcends understanding, for a joy that's indescribable, for a life abundant and beyond what you can ask or imagine. If you seek Christ, you will find life. 
You will have authentic relationships. And I'm not saying it will be easy because it won't be easy. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. Not you might, you will. But he also said, take heart or be encouraged because I have overcome the world. You see, some things may be harder. But again, we say all the time, there's no better way to live. There is no better life than as a disciple or follower of Jesus. And people say to me, you know, Pastor Brian, it's hard to follow Jesus. And I said, I agree, absolutely. You know, it's even harder not to. Try spending most of your life not following Jesus. Try following your own self, your own heart, your own desires, your own whims and preferences. And see how exhausted that gets you. So do you want to just be informed this morning? Do you just want information? Or do you want to be transformed? Are you praying that God would transform you through His Word? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the same as yesterday. I believe that God has something new for us this morning. And new for you as well, listening at home. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning of verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance. It's the primary thing. It's everything. Everything else in his message is secondary to this, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely boy, born, he appeared to me. And in verse 14, Paul makes it clear. He heads off the, the thing that people like to say that, well, Jesus is a good teacher. And maybe you're at home and say, well, you know, Jesus was a good teacher. He said some good things. Because you know, a lot of times people have problems with the church and people have problems with Christians and all that stuff. But a lot of times people don't really have problems with Jesus. Everybody, lo everybody loves Jesus. Everybody thinks Jesus is a nice guy. But Paul says this in verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, in other words, if Easter is just another holiday with a bunny and, and candy, if, if, if the resurrection didn't actually take place, then Paul doesn't say, ah, oh, just take the nice stuff Jesus said and, you know, try to apply that to your life. Or, you know, create like a Jefferson Bible, like Thomas Jefferson, who was a deist, he believed in God, but not necessarily a personal God. And so anything he didn't like, he just kind of took out of the Bible and he created his own. It's like kind of the Burger King Bible, right? Have it your way. You can, you know, some people like to do that. They pick and choose like it's a buffet. Paul doesn't give us that option. Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Moreover, we've been found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Paul said, not only is, is our preaching in vain, not only is your faith in vain, but in fact, we're blasphemers. We're, we're, we're false witnesses of God. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. If the resurrection did not take place, your faith is worthless. It doesn't mean anything. You know, we, we talk all the time about faith and everybody says, it's good to have faith. And I've used this illustration before, even recently. It's only good to have faith if the object of your faith is worthy of that faith. If you have faith in a person, they continue to let you down time and time again. 
eventually that faith's going to wane. I joked and said, if I, if I sit in a three-legged chair and I have faith that's going to hold me, it's not going to hold me. At this point, four-legged chairs might not even hold me. I can have faith if I jump out the window, I can fly, and that faith is going to come in contact with gravity real quick. It's the object of our faith that matters. The idea of Jesus just being a good guy is dismissed by Paul. The Word of God does not leave us that option. Why would any man do that if he wanted to start a religion? Why would that be put in Scripture unless it was the key to everything else, the foundation to everything else that Jesus, by overcoming death, proved he was who he claimed to be, the coming promised Messiah? And that has an impact for our lives. Why would so many have died for this belief? Many of the disciples of Jesus were martyred. Why would someone die for a lie? And so what if it's true? What would that mean to me and to you? So here's the third question. What kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to be informed or transformed? And now it can be put two ways. Who is Jesus to you? Or what if Jesus really is God? And if we say that we believe it is true, why don't we live as though we believe it? I think most of our problems as brothers and sisters of the faith come down to this. Very often we don't have enough faith. Because we don't invest our, our lives, we don't develop our faith. Instead we fill ourselves with garbage. And we remove, you know, we remove the good nourishing things and we're distracted by all the junk food. I want to talk about what it means from moving from darkness to life, from ignorance to truth. To be truly resurrected, resurrected means we move from death to life. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ proved he was who he claimed to be. But the last time I checked, people don't normally come back from the dead. Pastor Jamie preached a message once and he talked about a beautiful exchange. That Jesus took our sin and he exchanged it for righteousness. I don't know about you, but I feel incredibly humbled and grateful as I reflect upon what Jesus did for each of us. And I don't know about you, but I want to tell you something, church. I don't have a worthless faith. My faith is not in vain. My preaching is not in vain. Because I know that I was blind and now I see. I know that I was stuck and I was bound and that Jesus set me free. I know the power of God not because I read about it. I know the power of God because I've experienced the power of God. I know intimacy with Jesus because I've experienced intimacy with Jesus. And that relationship, that powerful presence has so dramatically altered me that just like 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, I am a new creation. It is no longer I that live and I will never be the same. And so this morning I want to welcome you and I want to challenge you no matter what the reason that you're watching or listening this morning. I challenge you to stop and consider the person of Jesus, maybe for the first time ever. I want you to consider what this could mean for your life if the resurrection really took place. If in time and space, years and years ago, a man who claimed to be the Son of God was violently beaten and murdered only to walk the earth again. 
2,000 years ago, Jesus came and some people rejected him. Others thought he was just a good teacher or a prophet. But there were some who believed he was who he claimed to be. And that is still the case today. And it is my sincere hope that if you're listening this morning and you've not trusted in the work of Christ on the cross, that you would come to know him and believe in him. And I will make a promise to you, the promise that you can live a life unlike anything you've ever dreamed. And there's not only my hope, there's the hope of God. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The word repent means to completely change direction. It doesn't just mean to feel bad about your sin. Repent, it invokes this, this idea of soldiers. They were marching one way and they stop and they turn around and they march the opposite way. Repentance involves the act of our will as well as our intellect. It involves action. It involves our turning away from our sin and our turning to God. And it's not only by His grace we're saved, but it's also by His grace we're kept, we're sanctified. It's the power of God working in and through us. And we can either stifle that, we can either continue to fill ourselves with weeds and garbage in the garden, or we can be fertile soil for God to cause the growth. Many of us need to repent. We need to completely change direction. We need to make some drastic changes. I know some people say, you know, you want to be your best you. And I've said a million times, my best me is a far cry from Jesus Christ. I don't want to be my best me. That's not my goal. My goal is to walk with people who are following after Jesus Christ and to be like him, to allow the image of God to be formed in us. No matter what you think about Jesus, I want you to leave and stop watching this message and consider it and pray and allow the Spirit of God to change your heart and be changed. C.S. Lewis was, a, was an atheist for most of his adult life. He was no intellectual slouch. He was a professor at both Cambridge and Oxford. Certainly very brilliant. He became a Christian later in life. Was good friends and greatly influenced by J.R.R. Tolkien. Probably heard of him. Kind of a big deal. Anyway, Lewis said this of Christianity, and again, we've repeated this, and it bears repeating. He said, Christianity of false is of no importance. Kind of a, the same thing Paul's saying. If it's not true, it's, it's, not, it's not good. It's not important. It doesn't have value. Christianity of, of false is of no importance. If true, it is infinitely important. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. I would hope that all of us at least see the accuracy of this statement. Because the message of Easter is the power of the resurrection. And that has application and meaning to your life and to my life. It matters. It's an exciting day, the day when Jesus claimed the victory for us over sin and death that we are powerless to claim without him. Yet in the time between Jesus' burial and his resurrection from the grave, John 20, 19 includes the most detail. 
And it says Jesus' disciples were hiding behind locked doors in fear of what would be done to Jesus' followers if they were found out. They were afraid. John 20, 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They don't know what's going on. Nothing's happening according to plan. They're anxious. They're in fear. They thought that this Jesus was, was the king, was the Messiah. How could this have happened? And maybe where you are now, you don't understand. You're in fear. And scripture continues, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. What does Jesus do? He stands among us and says, peace be with you. This was not an empty phrase that Jesus used. In John 14, 27, he said something very similar to them. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. It's not peace just based on what's going on around you. It's peace that comes from who's inside you. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be fearful. I think Jesus was reminding them of that promise. Jesus stood before this group of fearful people and he reassured them by his very presence and made clear that this was a different kind of peace. This is a promise we need today because Jesus still makes that claim to each one of us. He stands before us a risen Savior and he bids that we follow him, that we believe and we trust and we receive life. Yet some of us still live and walk as though Jesus is still dead in the tomb. Some of us are still afraid. Too many of us live as if Jesus were still dead. Like the disciples in John 20, we hide our faith behind locked doors, fearful of a world that both hates Jesus and desperately needs him at the same time. We fear the persecution and rejection for boldly talking about him. These are the feelings and actions of the people that follow a dead Jesus. But the true Jesus, our Jesus, is alive and on mission. And he invites each of us to boldly join him in the power of the Holy Spirit. So why continue to live as if he were dead? Colossians 3 says, Living as those made alive in Christ, since then you have been raised with Christ. Paul's making this assumption that it's true. He's saying, considering this fact... Set your heart on the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your mind on things above. You see, the last question is, where is our focus? It needs to be considered. Paul's talking here about our hearts and our minds. So the idea is that what we desire, what we love, what we think about, what we pursue, what we want will form us. And so if we spend our lives pursuing things that will not fulfill and that will not nourish, if we neglect Jesus' call to be his witnesses, 
We can't, you know, the go and tell only can happen if the come and see happens first. If Christians are not nourished by Christ, but instead by the world, is it any wonder that things are as they are? If we live our lives apart from Christ, our needs will quickly take control of our lives. They will become obsessions and we become slaves. So what is our primary desire? What do we worship? Where is our focus? Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I said the other day in devotion, during this time, it's not just what we're doing, it is what we're doing and how we're helping, but it's also who we are becoming. Are we allowing the trials and the difficulties and the uncertainty, are we allowing those things to change us, to develop in us the character of Jesus? Are we clothing ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility, with gentleness and patience? Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. The good news of Easter, my friends, is not only that Christ is risen, but that we too have been raised with Christ, not to a better life or an improved life, but to an entirely new life. You see, this is not just a motivational speech. The gospel is not just wishful thinking. It's good news because it's true. Jesus Christ has risen, and he calls us to rise, to rise above the status quo. The assignment is simple. Jesus wants us to change the world. He expects us to change the world. He took our place so that we may now live. We don't just owe him a lot. We owe him it all. Everything we have and everything we are. So as the worship team comes up, I'm going to close repeating the scripture we began with. Philippians 3, verses 8 through 15. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And one thing, verse 13, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. The resurrection invites us not to look back, but to look forward to die to self, and to rise from the grave with Christ and really live. Let me close with Hebrews 13, verse 20 through 21. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, 
working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I could just ask um, where you are right now, if you could just stand in your home, if you're able. And I just wanted to uh, bring you to a place of celebration. I was just reading about when Mary went to the tomb, wondering how she was going to open it, but went there with faith. And when she saw that it was empty, they were filled with great joy and fear. They were awestruck that their lives had begun again, that there is hope. So this last song is just a celebration, and I pray that you celebrate where you are, that you raise your hands to Jesus, and that you worship him. Amen.
a church. Father, we thank you for the truth of the resurrection. We thank you for the difference it makes in the lives of those who trust in you. Father, I pray and I believe the promise that your word never goes out void, God. And so we pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that you change eternities, that you change lives. Father, allow the seeds that were planted, you cause them to grow. God, draw people into a relationship with you. Have your way in each one of us. Have your way in this community of faith. Father, I pray that we continue to meditate on this word that we allow your word and your spirit to do its work, to take our hearts of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Father, do the work that only you could do in each of us. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. In the mighty and precious name of Jesus, amen. So we're gonna stay connected to the live stream for a few more minutes, allow folks to interact, and wanna say God bless you, have a happy Easter, and we love you. Yeah.